Hello and welcome back to the Bears Rant Podcast. I am your host, Ken Marshall. As I expected, the Bears were in fact down three scores early and down 35-3 to at the half against the Buccaneers. If anyone was surprised in the result of that game, you're just not paying attention. So after a lopsided loss to the defending Super Bowl champions, what now? Where did they go from here? Well, before I answer that, let's walk through how they got here. During the offseason, the GM and the coach were told they needed to show improvement this year. Well, that could mean a lot of things, and I hope behind closed doors that they were more explicit about what that means. But to me, it meant fielding a competent offense and having a winning season. More so the competent offense than the winning season. So, before they ever even dreamt that they could make a move to get Justin Fields, they had to make a move of some kind at quarterback. They let Mitchell Trubisky walk, and they signed Andy Dalton. So to me, that meant that they were going to lean on a formula that worked for Lovey Smith for many years. Namely, lean on the defense, hope you can hold that opponent to 13 to 17 points, and then hope that you can get 17 to 20 points. Meaning that Andy Dalton is a capable, if not spectacular, starter in the league. That with the hopes of a continued good running game that showed up at the end of the last season, and with him at quarterback, that maybe they would show that improvement on offense. And if the defense could return to that Vic Fangio level of performance with the Fangio disciple and Sean Desai running the show, then you've created that lovey formula. Then you could talk about a 9-10 to win season potentially. Maybe get to a playoff berth especially now that the playoffs have been expanded to seven teams per division, but more importantly, show some progress in offense that you could actually score some points. Now, I said recently that you need to be able to score at least 24 per game, but they didn't sign up for that at the beginning of the season, in the offseason. The move they made was to try to build that 17 to 20 point team. Now Dalton, he was efficient, but not spectacular before he left with that knee injury. And there was no cause for alarm that that plan wouldn't necessarily work. Fields came in and finished the win against the Bengals, but then he looked downright awful against the Browns as did the whole team and the whole staff, let's be clear. But then Fields came back to have a good game against the Lions. And after that win, I expected Fields to get another shot to start against the Raiders. You know, I expected them to say, hey, Dalton is still on the mend, let's give him another shot this week, and we'll make some sort of decision after that point. But, On that Monday, after the win against 
the Lions. Nagy said, when healthy, Dalton is our starter. Adamant about it. But something happened between Monday and Wednesday of that week. Something we'll probably never know the answer to. But something changed, and then he came out and said, Fields is our starter going forward. Well, the plan, the lovey plan, is now out the window as soon as you make that decision. Because from that point forward, the only thing that really matters is the development of Justin Fields. Whether they intended to make that kind of statement or to create that kind of situation doesn't really matter. All that matters now is developing Justin Fields. And he had five turnovers last week. I don't call that progress. Do you? Now, part of the problem is that Justin Fields isn't the only variable in this equation. If all those mistakes were just on him, then those are things you can work on to correct. Maybe they are. I don't know. But there are, I do know, there are many other issues with this team. The front office has not surrounded him with good enough players. The pass blocking has been bad. Receivers have not been getting open. And plays have not been called to compensate for these kinds of issues. I've talked about those things before, and I'll talk about them again here in a little bit. But what we want to get back to is the question that I posed at the beginning of this episode. And that is, what now? So if we assume that I am correct and the number one goal is to develop Justin Fields, what does that mean? Well, let's look at the schedule. I believe they're going to be lucky to win maybe three more games. In my opinion, their best chances for wins are against the Steelers, the Lions, and the Giants. Some would argue that they could beat the 49ers this week. I think that only can happen if they get their pass rush going. But Khalil Mack missed practice again today. Akeem Hicks was limited. And as far as we know, Quinn is still in the COVID protocol. The only way that they stand a chance is to implement that lovey formula. Hold the 49ers to 13 to 17 points and find a way to put up 20. Do you think that they can put up 20 against that defense? be really tough. So, if we know that we're going to have a losing season, and as the coach and the GM, you need to show improvement to keep your job, how do you do that? 
One way might be through trades. So let's talk about how that might work out. On offense, you have Allen Robinson. If you trade him away, it's going to be a half a season rental for somebody. Because he's on the franchise tag, anybody who trades for him can't even negotiate a new contract with him until the beginning of the new league year next April. Maybe March. Next year, anyway. So your return value for him is really only going to be a fifth or maybe a fourth rounder, right? Because the team that gets him only gets part of this season as their guarantee. Beyond that, it's a crapshoot for them. But if you don't move him, unless you are certain that you will finally figure out a way to sign him to a long-term deal, you risk getting nothing at all. Because he will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. You can't really afford to franchise tag him again, although it is an option. And there's no guarantee that he would ever sign a long-term deal with you. On top of that, he hasn't had a lot of production this year. He's had a couple of drops. So do you really even want to sign him to a big money long-term deal? I don't know. I think he's still pretty good. There are a lot of issues, like I said. But you can't count on any of that. So... You could trade him, but you're only going to get maybe a fourth or a fifth rounder for him. David Montgomery. Really good back. But he's not elite. And he's been injured each of the last two years. I know some of you guys really love the guy, and he's a good back. But running backs just aren't difference makers anymore in this league. Not like quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends. Today's NFL is designed to pass the ball. They've made the rules to try to make it impossible for you to not score through the air. Yet the Bears aggressively figure out a way to not do that. But I digress. Montgomery is in the third year of his rookie deal. But because of the injuries, he's not going to bring that much. Because of that and because of the fact that, like I said, unless you have an elite running back, they just aren't difference makers. So you're probably looking at a fifth rounder, maybe even sixth rounder, depending on how people view the red flag of his injuries. And whoever picks him up, is going to have to sign him to a long-term deal after next season. So again, that hurts the trade value. On defense, you've got Khalil Mack. He's under contract until the end of the 2025 season. So that's good for a prospective trade partner. But because the Bears keep restructuring his contract, his cap hits are $30 million, $28 million, 
and $26 million the next three seasons. If not for that cap number, you could get at least one, if not multiple, first-round picks. But because of that cap number, it's hard to trade him. At most, you're probably looking at maybe a couple of fourth-rounders. Or maybe a second and a fifth or sixth. You might even be able to get a player in return for him, but it's not going to be a star. Right? They're taking on significant cap hit if somebody were to trade for him. So again, not getting a lot of value back. Akeem Hicks, one healthy, can be a disruptive force on the inside. But, again, he keeps getting injured. And he's in the last year of his deal. He's not on the franchise tag, so at least if somebody traded for him, they could go ahead and sign him to a long-term deal or make that a part of the negotiation for the trade that you know, a long-term deal would be made. But because he's 31, because of his injury history, and because there's not necessarily a guarantee that you'd be able to sign him, you're not getting more than a fifth-round pick for him. Eddie Jackson, it's going to be an even tougher trade. You've got to find a team that's looking for a free safety, a guy that roams the backfield looking to get interceptions. The Bears bring him up in run support very often. He's never been a big tackler, and that exposes him as not being a good tackler, right? We've seen that, and everybody's complained about it. When he was new in the league, he was just kind of roaming around back there, picking off deep balls. They've kind of gone away from that a little bit. And so he's not producing. Not only is he not tackling, he's not getting the turnovers that you expect from him for the money that you're paying him at 15, 17, and $18 million cap hits over the next season, three seasons. With his lack of production and those cap hits, you'll be lucky to find a trade partner of any kind. If you do, it's not going to be for anything significant. Sixth or seventh round pick. I mean, that's a for a guy that's not producing, those are some big, big cap numbers. Let's talk about Robert Quinn. He's also 31. And has cap hits of 17, 18, and 17 the next three years. Million. Now his resurgence this year makes it an easier trade, but you're still only looking at probably a fourth or a fifth rounder because of his age and because of the horrible year that he had last year. That's going to make a lot of teams cautious. They're going to be worried, Is it was it because of scheme or something else, or was it because he's starting to get old? The best player on defense, maybe even the whole team, is Roquan Smith. 
He's in year four of his rookie deal. Remember, we've talked about this before, right? The club has a fifth-year option. So technically, the Bears could say, we're just going to pick up the fifth-year option. You're going to play under that. But most often, a team will sign a long-term deal with that player after the fourth year. In this case, it would be a no-brainer to pick up the fifth-year option. Usually what you do is you pick up the fifth-year option, and then before the season begins, you go ahead and work out that long-term deal. You could, move, you could move Roquan in a heartbeat. He's a very good player. But he plays inside linebacker. With the exception of the history of the middle linebacker position for the Chicago Bears, it's just not a premier position. There's a litany of great Hall of Fame players for the Bears that played on the inside. But it's just not a premier position in the league today. If he were an edge rusher, you could easily get multiple first-round picks and probably at least another third or fourth rounder on top of that. But he's not. You can probably get a second rounder for him. Or maybe a lower pick and a decent starter, but not a, at a premier position. You might be able to get a decent slot receiver or something like that to upgrade above uh, Bird and Goodwin, but you're not going to get a star. So even though you could get some return on these guys, it's not going to be the level of return that's going to provide an immediate impact on this season. You're not going to trade for a star player that will help out the offense. You're not going to trade for multiple first-round picks that you could turn into stars on the offense next season. So, again, what next? In the now, it's pretty simple. It's the things we've talked about before. Make the offense simpler and faster for him to execute. We know that the offensive line struggles to protect for even really two seconds. So you have to break it down more easily for him. Roll him out. That cuts the field that he has to read in half. And in that half, give him high and low reads. Somebody deep, somebody short. If it's not there, run. Simple, quick decisions. Continue to run the ball. He's been very effective in play-action passes. By running the ball, pretending to hand off to a player when you've had success running the ball allows other things to open up, right? Successfully running the ball brings in the linebackers and the safeties from the other team closer to the line of scrimmage, which opens up holes in the defense that you can pass into. And when he's in the pocket, always have easy outlets. Even if it's third and long, you have to have a quick outlet for him. These things, again, 
draw up the linebackers and the safeties, creating holes for deeper plays. It's not rocket science. For every defense, there's a counter on offense. Every offense, there's a counter on defense. Keep it simple. Pick your best 20 to 24 plays. Arrange them in three to four formations. Perfect them. Run them over and over and over. And when you can execute them in games, when you can check out of a bad play into a good play, then you start expanding. Anyway, those are my thoughts for this week. Thank you for listening. And bear down.